You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning machine keeps turning death and hatred to mankind poisoning their brainwashed minds welcome to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia on the national community radio satellite listen to the anarchist world this week australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Yes, the program is podcast. If somebody knocks on your door looking for money... Your long-lost son or daughter turns up, relax. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. Don't slam the door in their face. They know you're dying and they want to be put in the will, all right? No, seriously, what is anarchism? Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people and sacrifice people on the altar of Mammon and on the uh, killing for the war, the killing fields of war, inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle? The anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, that's devolve power, and it's the struggle to hold wealth in common. Very simple concepts. Nothing radical about them, nothing revolutionary about them. What's revolutionary to me is the fact that we put our faith in rulers to determine our fate and that fate of our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's what really, that's radical. That is revolutionary. But to actually share power, share wealth, you know, very conservative, but a great way to live life. Now, today we're going to be throwing around the C word. Yep, the C word. So I don't want you to run away. I'm going to use the C word eight times at the beginning of this program. So here we go. Civic crisis. Concerned citizens. Cringing, carping, complaining consumers. What's that got to do with anarchism or anything? Uh, It's interesting to note that people are beginning, even an authority, are beginning to understand we have a civic crisis in this country. And the Federal Labor Party has decided, the government has decided to have a an inquiry into the current civic crisis. Well, you don't need an inquiry to find out why there's a civic crisis, why people are not joining civic organisations, why people are not joining any organisations and why people are not 
supporting civic organisations because the the mortar, the cement, which holds a society together, isn't its laws, isn't the police, isn't the armed forces, isn't the government of the day, isn't the bureaucracy, isn't the corporate corporate world. The mortar that holds society together is those relationships which are developed by people participating in civic society. And what civic society means is the everyday interaction. Clubs, charities, political organisations, whatever. And one thing, you know, I've noticed as of an activist over the last uh, 20 years at least, since the introduction of the world wide web, the so-called democratising element, a democratising element which is creating uh, centralisation of power and ideas, is the fact that people no longer feel the need to interact with those around them because you can interact with somebody 10,000 kilometres away or you think you can interact with them. You can find people somewhere in the world with your particular viewpoints. It's all there, all on the open market. But the fact is we do have a civic crisis and this civic crisis to a significant degree is not just being created by technology but it's been created by an ideology, an ideology based on neoliberal values, the corporatisation ideology, the globalisation ideology, the deregulation ideology, the privatisation ideology. Because we no longer see ourselves as part of a community. We may define ourselves as Australians, but ultimately we see ourselves as individuals trying to survive in a private investment for private profit world. And we've seen legislative changes which have been put into place which has devalued the concept of citizenship to be a member of of a particular sovereign nation state or even a permanent resident of this country. When we interact with government departments, we're no longer citizens. We are customers. And there's this new ideology based on the concept of people being resigned to the situation they find themselves in. That struggle is useless. The change will never occur. And we have this mindset that has reduced concerned citizens into cringing, carping, complaining consumers. And nothing highlighted this to me more than a little sign I saw up in a bakery up in regional Victoria where I now uh, reside. It's a small town, a few thousand people. And I walked into the bakery and I said to the the owner, I said, what's all this about? And she said to me, well, you won't, you wouldn't believe this, Joe. We didn't put, we couldn't put tomatoes 
in the sandwiches because we'd have to put up the prices and we didn't wouldn't didn't want to put up prices. And she said, people we'd known for years had come in complaining, abusing the staff, carrying on about the fact there was no tomato in their sandwich. And I said, you're kidding. She said, no, that's why we've put up the sign. You know, that's why we've put up the sign so our staff don't get abused by customers. And that's what we've become. Cringing, complaining, carping consumers. Not because we want to be cringing, carping, complaining consumers, not because I'm using those words to denigrate people, but because that's what we have become. The concept of being a citizen with rights and responsibilities has gone out the window because we're basically monetary units. When you listen to the news of the day, it's all about the financial considerations. When you look at policy, it's not about satisfying basic human needs. You know, satisfying basic human needs as far as food security is concerned, energy security is concerned, health, education, recreation, housing. No. It's all about consumption. And all this... Business about trade and deregulation and globalisation. Again, it's all about consumption. And all this business about bringing in people on temporary part-time visas, which encourage more than wage slavery, but actual real slavery. What we're seeing is that everything is reduced to our financial consideration. There's no such thing as the state having any responsibility for its citizens. It's as if we're regressing back to the 19th century where the state's main role was to be an instrument of control, to keep those who exercise power in power by using the courts, the police, the armed forces to keep people in their place. So we have reached this situation because we have allowed it to reach this situation. When we go into a supermarket and we turn up at the self-checkout counter, instead of going to the empty counter where there's a human being we can interact with, I mean, that's part of that reduction of human interaction into some type of constant financial transaction. And if you think I'm exaggerating, you go out with any plastic or your phone or money in your pocket and try to get some food or care or housing and see what happens if you cannot come up with the dough, whether it's electronic whether it's a piece of plastic or whether it's a coin. Think about it. So, sure, obviously we should be concerned about the civic crisis we face as a society because this civic crisis means that the unofficial 
organisations which keep society functioning, the clubs, the sporting clubs, the issue-orientated political campaigns, all these things which keep society functioning, not the law, not the police, not the armed forces, not the government of the day, but all these human interactions, if we don't get back to those basics and continue to allow governments to treat us as cringing, carping, complaining consumers, then we deserve everything we get. I mean, could you imagine? You go into a government department and you're identified as a customer. I'm not a customer of a government department. Theoretically, we elect representatives into government. I'm not a customer of government. I'm a citizen. I'm a permanent resident. I have rights. I have responsibilities. I may be unhappy with the rights and responsibilities I have, but we've been reduced to such a situation where we are just becoming carping, complaining, cringing consumers. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I've uh, received a message yesterday which is a little bit, well, it's quite depressing. And uh, I haven't been able to verify it, but um, I'm pretty confident it's correct. But I received a message yesterday, and a lot of people would know this gentleman, that John Wynne Twigg, T-W-E-G, died a week ago. Now, a lot of listeners to this program would have known John Twigg. Not only was he an activist in the later later part of his life, he was a well-known photographer and uh, media uh, person. Now, John was born in 1947. He did a lot of uh, teaching at Paran Tech College. And in 1994, he established the Institute of Lens Arts Australia in Calorama in the Dandenong Ranges. And he offered postgraduate courses in Diploma of Screen Arts, Film Practice, Advanced Diploma in Cinematography and Advanced Film Directing. I first came across John. Um, At that stage he was living in Hastings after a fire at his house in Calorama. And uh, first came across John uh, when when he became involved in the public interest before corporate interest campaign. And John was uh, an active member of public interest before corporate interests. Uh, he personally assisted me in the Frankston uh, elect state election eight years ago, the Dunkley federal election six years ago, the Northcote election about three or four years ago. And uh, he was involved in uh, many things. He's well known to people in Frankston. He was a pivotal member of the public interest before corporate interest uh, Frankston group. Now, I've got no idea about funeral details. If uh, anybody's aware of any more uh, information regards John's death, 
um, please ring me on 0439 John is uh, well known among certain sections of the uh, radical community here uh, in Melbourne, especially those involved in the public interest before corporate interests uh, organisation and campaign. Farewell, John. You're a great human being. You provide a lot of uh, technical assistance to me personally regarding uh, videoing and uh, sound. And uh, without your help over the years, I think, uh, you know, we wouldn't have got as far as we've got as an organisation. And um, if anybody knows anything regarding funeral arrangements or what happened, we'd be... uh, uh, I'd be very happy to know. Oh four three nine three nine five four eight nine. That's John Win Twig T W E G. Farewell, John. Talk about stupidity. It's constitutional. Irrespective of what you think about Mr. Morrison. The former Prime Minister and current member for Cook in New South, Federal Member for Cook in New South Wales, when he took on all these extra portfolios, some of them secretly, the lad was acting constitutionally. Because Australia is one of the piss-weakest constitutions in the Western world. You talk about a tin-pot dictatorship having a constitution that's not worth a pinch of salt. Well, it's the same with the Australian constitution. What Mr Morrison did is constitutional. It's legal. People say the Governor-General should have stopped him. Well, the Governor-General is directed by the Prime Minister of the day. And if it's legal, it's legal. So why am I so concerned about the current constitutional arrangements we have in this country? Well, in 1999, yes, I know, it's almost a dec- almost a quarter of a century ago, I stood in a little plebiscite they had regarding you know, Australia becoming a republic and I stood on a platform of a new constitution for a, a new millennium. Now, over 10 million people voted in this plebiscite. We were able to manage a miserable, pathetic 5,000 votes. Everybody fought well. It's a great constitution. I mean, could you imagine it? It's legal, stupid. It's legal in this country to detain people indefinitely. And we've seen some people detained for over a decade because they have illegally entered the country indefinitely. The High Court ruled that it's constitutional. It's constitutional in this country to deny a significant section of the population, over 50%, the ability, although they were born in this country, the ability to stand in a federal election unless they jump through all these hoops 
Being born in the country isn't enough anymore to make you an Australian citizen, is it? It's constitutional in this country not to have any freedom of speech that the High Court has to find an implied right to freedom of political speech during elections. It's constitutional in this country to pass laws for specific sections of the population, as we saw with the CFM-MEU, where laws were passed and were in place and continue to be in place, which give somebody who imports a billion dollars of drugs more legal rights than a member of a union in this country. It's constitutional to outlaw people withdrawing their labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. I could go on and on. I could go on and on. So if you're concerned about Mr Morrison taking on all these extra duties and not telling his mates because he didn't trust them, always concerned about being stabbed in the back if you're a Liberal Party Prime Minister, and especially that those little people in the National Party, you can't trust them, can you, if you're Prime Minister? So it's constitutional. So if you want changes to this way this society is regulated, to what laws can be passed and can't be passed by a majority in both Houses of Parliament, it's time that we actually looked at the question of a new constitution. Not just some change in the constitution to allow First Nations people to have a right to have a voice to Parliament, but a question in a referendum to abolish the current constitution and replace it with something else. Big task. But what's more important than knowing how society functions, than protecting the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power, of ensuring that all people on this continent actually have access to this country's wealth, not just a shrinking minority. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. I'm hosting today's Anarchist World this week. Now, did you know, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, although you need to understand the origins of the word ladies and gentlemen, I was being a little bit facetious there, because a lady or a gentleman is somebody who lives off somebody else's labour. They don't need to dirty their hands and do any work. So, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, my God's better than your God. I think the attempted murder of Seldom Rushdie once again highlights the stupidity of religion. I'm not talking about a belief in a God or your personal interaction with what you think is a God. But organised, hierarchical religion. All types. All types of religion. 
Now, I know some of you believe there's only one God and some of you believe there are 36 million gods and some of you believe there are no gods. But what gives us the right to kill other people, which we see constantly on a day-to-day basis, not cases like Salman Rushdie, but ordinary people, people who are lynched in India because they've eaten... They've been accused of eating some a cow. Or people who are killed because they've eaten a pig. I mean, we went through this garbage with Christianity for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Or people were burnt at the you know, burnt at the stake for blasphemy. They were imprisoned, they were drawn and quartered, they were beheaded we still got the same attitudes. I mean, it's as if we haven't changed since we crawled out of the slime and evolved into human beings. I don't give a shit what your religious belief is. But I do give a shit if you try to force those ideas on me and the people around me through the use of force. And that's an issue. It's a critical issue in the 21st century where we've seen a regression to the idea that my God is the only God or my God is the best God or my God is better than your God. And if you say something naughty about my God, well, then you'd need to be eradicated from the earth. Well, why don't we leave it up to God? God to do it, hey? If God is offended by my blasphemy, she can strike me dead. I don't see God or the gods destroying humanity because they don't believe in them or are blasphemous. And if there's one good thing about Australian society is the fact the number of people who've put the word atheist, that they have no religious belief, on the census form has increased to almost one in three Australians. And that is one great thing about living in this society where you don't have priests and mullahs and you know rabbis and whatever telling us how to live our lives because of some words which somebody wrote down in some book some time ago, as if it's preordained. If I counter the number of gods that have been created by humanity since time immemorial, who are now irrelevant and dead, I'd be counting for the next 20 years. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. And don't forget, it's no wonder that 19th century anarchists took on the motto, no God, no master. Right, let's move on to something a bit more pleasant. Well, I don't think I have much pleasant to say today. Oh, yes, I do. But I'll leave that till last. NDIS shambles. National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, for 40 years, I was involved in campaigns 
to get the government of the day at the federal level to provide support for people with disabilities. Now, I've been involved looking after people with physical disabilities as a result of trauma for almost 50 years. And when I first started, there was nothing. Unless somebody had a family that was willing to sacrifice itself for the needs of the person with the disability, there was nothing. And through multiple protests, royal commissions, hearings, the National Disability Insurance Scheme was set up. But it's now a shambles. It's not just about crooks siphoning off $3 billion from the $30 billion National Disability Insurance Scheme. But it's about the disaster which occurs when governments outsource their responsibility to the private sector. Over half of the money which is pouring out of the National Disability Insurance Scheme to look after the needs of people with significant disabilities goes up in smoke in profits or administration costs of privately owned companies which are making a mint out of the system without providing the necessary support for the people they look after. I mean, I get constant complaints almost every day from patients and people I know who say, I cannot believe the amount of money which has been made by these privately owned organisations which provide a service. And when I ask the workers what they get, they're lucky to get 25 or 30% of the fee. While the organisation which is con- contracted to do the work gets the bulk of the fee. I mean, one way out of this is by what they call self-funding. With a person with a disability or the people around them who are responsible for them, if it's an intellectual or psychological disability... become in charge of the package and then they deal directly with private providers and that's the dilemma the dilemma is as we see in the aged care sector early childhood development sector and all the other sectors where the responsibility has been outsourced to the private sector we see that government money and that's your money my money, we all pay taxes. I know a lot of people don't think they pay taxes. I mean, some people pay income tax, some people pay GST, some people pay excise duty and tobacco, alcohol, right? Some, you know, it just goes on and on. We all pay taxes. And these taxes go to the government at the state and federal level and they're supposedly used to provide services. But if we see half of the money that goes into a particular area like the NDIS or aged care sector being totally, totally skimmed off the top by the private sector. No wonder we have this situation. Look at the situation in the aged care sector. Private providers cannot really make a profit with a, you know, and look after their staff 
and look after the people they're responsible for in the aged care sector. So what happens? The government is now going to pay, partially pay, the wages of aged care sectors on behalf of the private sector. That's corporate welfare. It's the same with the NDIS shambles. It's not just about criminal behaviour, although there is criminal behaviour. It's not just about fraud. But it's about a system which is based on the concept of private outsourcing. Look at the Centrelink and how that's been outsourced. Remember once we had an unemployment office? That's been outsourced. And we see organisations, many religiously based, making billions of dollars while providing very little service as far as employment is concerned to people. It's just extraordinary that we have gone down this path. It's like the concept I talked about us becoming, and like, you know, us, us, we, the people of this country becoming cringing, complaining, carping consumers. We're forced into that situation. It's the same with all these facilities that have been set up through the blood, sweat and tears of people like you and me who've campaigned to bring in these reforms and then to see these reforms derailed by the fact that governments outsource their responsibility. Currently, we've seen the same thing with local councils around the country where they're outsourcing their responsibility as far as aged care is concerned and keeping people at home. And it's at every level of society... It's a disease, it's a virus, it's a pandemic, worse than COVID-19, because it affects each and every one of us in many ways. And especially as people become older and need an aged care package or they they become disabled and need an NDIS package. And so what does the NDIS have to do? It then squeezes the people who need the services, denying them services because there's not enough money, because the money is just pouring out, pouring out into a private sector which sees this as a highway to their treasury. And talking about this, look at Medicare. Look, I went to a doctor yesterday, right? Because, you know, I went to a doctor. I go occasionally. And their billing practices have changed. And I know why their billing practices have changed. They've stopped bulk billing patients. A standard consultation is now $99 at this particular clinic. And if you go there, your Medicare rebate will be about $36, $37. That means there's a gap of over $60. So people are going to think twice, especially people with families. If you've got two or three kids that are sick, and you wonder why the accident emergency departments are overwhelmed with minor problems. Well, it's because people cannot afford, in some situations, to go even to a general practitioner because the bulk billing rates are falling. Is it because we have greedy, nasty, evil general practitioners? No. It's because Medicare, the introduction of a universal health insurance system, and that's what it is, by the Whitlam Labor government almost 50 years ago, I think about 48 years ago, has been sabotaged by successive Liberal National Parties (coughs) who don't believe 
you know, in the concept of universal health care, has been sabotaged by the income which is generated by medical practices to such an extent <coughs> that many medical practices, because of increasing demands as far as technology is concerned, even when they uh, form large practices, cannot financially survive on the Medicare rebate. It's that simple. So what we see here <coughs> is government initiatives which have led to the destruction of a primary universal health care system, which means that people are then forced to use overcrowded, understaffed public hospitals in order to receive basic care, which can be done at clinics outside, <laughs> understaffed, overworked, accident emergency countries, uh, departments around the country. We see it in the ambulance service with ramping, where there aren't enough beds. We see it with the poor morale in staff currently around the public hospital sector. We see it with the destruction of Medicare. And this has been government-initiated destruction of a universal uh, ins medical insurance scheme. It's a shambles, and it's a shambles because what we've done is to a significant degree we have relied on the private sector to provide services. Simple. Very simple. Why not have a series, this is nothing new, a series of state-run general practices which bulk bill which are then subsidised by the government to ensure they don't go under. Simple. That's what the whole concept of having a community health centres was about. When the Medicare was introduced, it was called, uh, I think it was, uh, what was it called, Medicare? It was called something else, I've forgotten. But when it was first introduced, it wasn't just about the university, it was, it was about setting up community health centres where people could be bulk billed. What we've seen with community health centres, a few have survived, Many have collapsed. Many have no longer have medical input because governments have removed support and have said to them, like they've said to the universities, you need to find an alternative income stream. That's right, an alternative income stream in order to provide services. So you think I'm exaggerating? Well, don't be surprised when you go to your clinic, that you're no longer bulk billed. It's a disease. It's a virus. It's a pandemic. It's about governments outsourcing their responsibility. We saw it in Victoria during the height of the pandemic when the state government outsourced responsibility to providing, you know, safe hotels to private security firms who had no inkling of what to do, no experience. And although there was a, an investigation, we never found out, we never found out who gave the order. Never found out. Although the head of the Ministry of Health at the Victorian state level fell on her sword. So think about it.
See, see, the dilemma is this. And people say to me, oh, you know, you should be more upbeat. Well, I'm very upbeat. If I'm not upbeat, I wouldn't be here. You think I'd be wasting my time if I resigned to the fact, like most people are, that nothing will ever change, that change is impossible, there's no point fighting, that you should just concentrate on making a buck and making the best way you can through life by accumulating capital. Look, if I believe that, I wouldn't be here. Why would I be wasting my time talking? This is my, what, 45th year in community radio 3CR and the Anarchus World this week. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have any hope Right? I wouldn't be here. But the fact is, we need to understand what the issues are. And it's not about your failings and my failings, although we've got more than enough. It's about the failings of a system which is based on the concept of private investment for private profit. It's the failings of governments which find themselves in a situation where the legislative agenda which is introduced into Parliament is directly related to the power that is exercised by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, the one percenters. Think about it. Because, look, you go into a doctor or a chiropractor or a naturopath, you got a problem. The first thing that individual has to do is to make a diagnosis. If you don't make a diagnosis, the, the outcomes can be catastrophic and people make misdiagnoses all the time for a variety of reasons. And the, you know, the outcomes are catastrophic and it's the same in politics, in life, in the struggle for change, in the struggle, you know, to devolve power and share wealth. We need to understand the underlying problem. And the underlying problem isn't a personal problem. The underlying problem is the cornerstones of our society, and the cornerstones, but not just cultural, the cornerstones of our society are our constitution, which is nothing more than a piece of paper which regulates the interaction between the states and the federal government. That's one cornerstone. So that is rotten to the core. And we saw how rotten it is with the first piece of legislation which was introduced to the Australian Parliament in 1901, the White Australia Policy, where only one member of the Australian Parliament voted against it. One member. 1901. But they did it because it was legal. Like Mr Morrison took on all those ministries because it was legal, constitutional, right? So we've got a rotten constitution. Then we have a rotten economic system which is based on the concept, as I said before, of private investment for private profit. It's not about looking after community need. It's not about satisfying community need. It's about satisfying manufactured desire. So you've got the situation in this country 
which I never thought I'd see. We've got people living in abject poverty, people with psychological issues related to the type of society they live in, people involved in part-time insecure work, and then you've got a small section of society making heaps of money, enjoying themselves at your expense. Think about it. I mean, as I said last week, and this is nothing new, if I gave away everything I had, which isn't very much, to the poor and walked around in a loincloth and, you know, beat my breast, I'd be considered to either be crazy or a saint. All right? If I tell you or I share with you, not tell you, share with you what I think, and it's what I think, is the, are the essential issues in this society, not about inequality of opportunity, that's bullshit. I'm talking about inequality, real inequality. I mean, inequality and opportunity doesn't necessarily resolve the issue of inequality in society as a lot of people talk about. But if I, if I mention these things, well, I'm a terrorist, you know? And that's the key. Diagnose, then work out a treatment. This is in the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can, you can um, access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Look, you can't see me. I should put a bloody video camera in here because you can see the tears streaming down my face. Why am I crying? I'm crying because the investors in rental properties are upset. They're upset. Interest rates are going up. They want the person renting the property to pay their bills for them, so they're trying to push up rents. And then when people talk about it, they say, oh, without me investing in property, you bastards wouldn't have a place to live in because you can't afford a home, can you? You can't. You know, you can't afford the overpriced houses we have in this country or units. So you need me. And I'm thinking to myself, that's public housing. That's the solution. The state moving in and putting in policies that ensure that everybody who can't buy a home because of the situation they find themselves in has access to public housing. Simple. I don't give a shit about the investors, but I do care about those people who are going to find themselves struggling for the rest of their lives to keep a roof over their heads, especially as they get older. Especially as they get older. It's a little bit hard couch surfing when you're 70, usually couch surfing on the streets. So instead of people talking about public housing, let's increase the stock of public housing. They talk about let's increase the stock of Community housing, affordable housing, social housing. This is privately owned housing. We see local councils coming into agreements with these private organisations to provide 20 units or 30 units, not even a drop in the bucket of the problem. Public housing should be available to everybody who cannot afford to buy a home in the private market. That's why it was set up. It wasn't set up for the destitute. 
It was set up for everybody. And if we don't actually go down that path, we, are, we, we deserve what we get as a society. Again, it's about looking at the way things are structured. If you've got a private housing market in a capitalist society where there is no competition, then housing prices will rise beyond wage increases and rents will rise beyond wage increases. But if you have a strong public housing sector, like they have in Singapore, where 90% of people live in public housing. That's right, 90% of people in Singapore live in public housing. Because superannuation and contribution in Singapore didn't go to private companies. They went back to the government, which then reinvests in the people. Oh, but we couldn't have that here, here, would it? It'd be, we'd be cruel to these private investors who have to increase their rents to make up their mortgage repayments because interest rates are going up. God. I mean, if I had a Martian listening to this program or somebody from, you know, light years away, from some black hole somewhere, they'd fall, they'd fall around laughing. How pathetic. I can't believe it. Afghanistan. Everybody's talking about Afghanistan. Well, the 20-year experiment in Afghanistan was an abject failure. And why was it an abject failure? Because the West, that includes Australia, which lost over 35,000 Australian men and many more, have been maimed and wounded both physically and psychologically for the, you know, for the rest of their lives in a war supporting corrupt governments corrupt warlords no wonder the Taliban was able to just walk in as soon as the West walked out no wonder the Afghan army threw up their hands in the air and said here take all the military equipment the West has given us we don't want to fight you because there was nothing to fight for there was nothing to fight for they were held captive by corrupt governments now, irrespective of what you think of the Taliban, and I basically have, you know, no time for them and their religious crap, the thing is, they were involved in one of the great military victories of the century. In a few days, they just ran riot. So in many regards, the situation Afghanistan finds itself in is directly attributable to the policies which were followed by the West, where the people of Afghanistan were seen as nothing more than cannon fodder. Edition of the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And now for some nice news. West Papua. The West Papua independent struggle continues, as I keep saying, ad nauseum. There is one Indonesian troop in West Papua for every West Papuan male. Think about it. That means there would have been, you know, if the Indonesians invaded Melbourne, there'd be about 1.5 million Indonesian troops in Melbourne for every 1. For the 1.5, 2 million males, adult males in this country. All right. 
Over 500,000 people have died directly and indirectly as a result of the independence struggle. But that struggle continues. Armed resistance continues in the highlands. People haven't forgotten, although they are now becoming a minority in their own country because of a huge transmigration program where Indonesian peasants have been brought across to West Papua and given three land. We're seeing the decimation of their forests, which is one of the last carbon reserves on the planet. So people think, oh, this is impossible. Although we've become cringing, complaining, carping consumers, they've been involved in this independent struggle, 75 kilometres from our shore. We train the elite our uh, Indonesian troops, courtesy of you and me, the Australian taxpayer. We send them across to West Papua, do you know, to uh, kill West Papuans. So the least we can do is pay for an office so they can conduct their affairs on a global scale to promote the concept of West Papuan independence. So I'm not imploring you, I'm not begging you, I'm asking you for the price of six cups of coffee a month to become a member of the West Papua Rent Collective, a dollar a day. If you want to become a member, give us a call. Otherwise, come along to the next Rent Collective gathering at the West Papua office, 838 Collins Street, on Sunday, the 11th of September. Three lunch, donation required. Three lunch, donation required. Meet people involved in the office. Have a look at the office. Make up your own mind. We have an auction for a few bits and pieces in order to continue to fund the office. The office has now been open for eight years, courtesy of people like you and me. Not the Australian government, not the major political parties or the minor political parties, not religious institutions, but because of people like you and me who understand that the West Papuan struggle to a significant degree is our struggle, the struggle to devolve power and share wealth. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Websites, pipsy.net, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can join automatically on the net, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. What else? You can uh, email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Other Facebook pages, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Public housing, everybody's business. There's lots of stuff out there. Pick and choose, but at the end of the day, you're either resigned to the fact that nothing will happen or you're part of the movement for change. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.